0: Well, welcome to to all of you. Glad you're able to make it out to practice this this evening. Uh, As you heard, we will be covering the topic of work today. Um, And I know some of you came in later, so just want to encourage you, um, if you have any questions at all uh, throughout the message, to please uh, submit it. Uh, We will have a brief Q&A afterwards. And uh, the phone number for submitting your questions uh, we'll go to like basically a Google Voice number, and uh, you could text over there anytime up till now. we well, probably later uh, through the end of the message and, and closing worship songs. So feel free to do that um, at at any time. Well, again, it's it's good to be with you here tonight, um, and we are covering the topic of work. So uh, I'm going to begin our time with a word of prayer, and uh, we'll go straight into God's word. Heavenly Father, what a great privilege it is to sit under um, your word. We know that there is no greater wisdom than what is offered through your inerrant, your authoritative and supreme truth, and we ask that your spirit would help us to consider these things that we will learn today so that we might be better worshipers and better workers that glorify you. So we ask for just your grace upon tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Work. I choose a lazy person to do a hard job because a lazy person will find an easy way to do it. Bill Gates. Most of what we call management consists of making it difficult for people to get their work done. Peter Drucker. The best way to appreciate your job is to imagine yourself without one. Oscar Wilde. Or how about this one, my keyboard must be broken. I keep, I keep hitting the escape key, but I'm still at work, author unknown. And lastly, right now, this is a job. If I advance any higher, this would be my career. And if this were my career, I had to th- I'd have to throw myself in front of a train Can you guess where that's from? Uh, The Office. We watch TV shows centered around work life in all its glory, pain, and fun, like The Office or Hospital Playlist. Work's misery is coped with during happy hour at the bar or late-night karaoke sessions with your team. Corporate retreats, work travel, meetings fill up our Google calendars. And it's no surprise because work is a big part of our lives. In fact, it's generally accepted that most of us will spend a total of 90,000 hours working. That's a third of your life. Most of our days throughout the week when not sleeping is going to be spent at and doing work. So with such a significant portion of our lives dedicated to work, it would serve us well to consider what God has to say about the matter. And it's crucial that we get our bearings straight when it comes to a topic that many of us experience in this stage of life as young adults here in Praxis. We need to get wise about work. We need a God-oriented view about work. So as we look at select verses from the book of Proverbs, I want us to explore the challenge set before us. If you have your notes, our key idea that we'll be looking at this evening is that wisdom demands us to consider the purpose as well as the proper attitude towards work so that we may skillfully love God and love others through it. The first fundamental aspect of work that we'll be looking at is the idea of worship, work as worship this is god's purpose for our work if you have your bibles please turn with me to proverbs chapter 8 and the first proverbs that we'll be looking at is proverbs chapter 8 verses 22 to 31. i'll be reading from the esv the lord possessed me at the beginning of his work the first of his acts of old ages ago i was set up At the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the Earth with its field or the first of its, or the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made the firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him, like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. As we approach our first proverb on the topic of work this evening, I want us to consider an urgent appeal to seek God's wisdom when it comes to work. Proverbs 8 begins with wisdom calling us to listen and to understand. Notice wisdom speaks using the first personal pronoun, I, and me. This is personification, where wisdom is giving attributes and characteristics of a person. Wisdom is giving credentials, showing its street cred, offering compelling reasons for why we are to listen, so we don't dismiss her words and continue in our foolish ways. Verse 22 begins with wisdom's existence before God's work of creation. And so as you continue, so you see wisdom was there before all of God's creative works, but also present in God's creative work. Wisdom was there. And as God creates and fashions the world by displaying his powerful work, wisdom was there. Verse 30 says that wisdom was beside God like a master workman. In other words, wisdom was involved in this. Now let's make things clear. Wisdom personified means that wisdom is not an actual person, okay? There is no fourth person of the Trinity. Just want to make that clear. But the point being made here is that wisdom is connected to God's creative acts in Genesis 1. Wisdom rejoices in God and rejoices in the inhabited world. And so wisdom is celebrating God's creative work. Wisdom agrees that the creative work is good, just as Genesis records that each time God created, it was good. So then work is good. Because it's tied to a good and wise God who worked for six days and rested on the seventh. You see, embedded in creation itself is God's wise design of work and rest It was God's plan before the beginning. There's a a divine rhythm that's part of the DNA and fabric of this world. And human beings are charged to subdue the earth and rule over it. God fashioned mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Both male and female, he created them. right? So work was part and parcel to life in paradise. And God gave humans the responsibility to cultivate and to create in a way where the garden would then flourish. Work isn't punishment, it's purposeful. To work means to to prepare, to, to, to develop. Adam and Eve were to engage in manual labor, gather food, name the animals, And one of God's purposes for humans here on earth is to work in a way that promotes flourishing in the world. We were created to see the goodness of work and then to engage in that. In working, what do we do? We show off God's glory. Because our work testifies to the wise creator who himself worked in creation. And yes, to this day, God works to continuously sustain creation by the power of his word. God created the world so it would display his glory to display of his glorious echo and reverberate and replicated when people, or his people, praise him. When his people, who are made in the image of God, create and fashion through work, they're giving testimony to a wondrous God. Our technological creations or artistic masterpieces point to an even greater creator. We image and portray God's creative work through our work, even if our work is flawed and imperfect. So then we must realize that work came before even Adam and Eve sinned. Work was good from the beginning. Genesis 2.15 writes, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Brothers and sisters, we were created to work. We were designed to worship God through our work. On the most fundamental and basic level, work is God's design for us to image him. We need this perspective in a day and age where work is sometimes just viewed as a troublesome means to an end and goal, like retirement in Hawaii, so you can collect seashells and drink pina coladas under the warm, glowing sun. Meanwhile, work seems so pointless in the present until it gets you to that point of retirement, right, and realizing your idol of comfort. However, the Bible doesn't paint that kind of picture about work. So, Praxis, what is your view of work? Do you see that wisdom and work begins with understanding God's wise design for work? He designed us for that. Work is how we worship and magnify God. He works, and we work. We take materials, government structures, mechanical, technological systems, we develop them for God's glory and the benefit of others. Construction contractors take raw materials like sand, cement, wood, and use them to create buildings that do good and benefit to other humans by giving them a space to inhabit, to live, to work in, to provide a measure of security from outside elements. Artists, they take materials of color, elements of music and sound, and arranges them in a creative way, just as God created man from raw materials of dust and fashioned him uniquely and beautifully within the tapestry of of a vibrant garden known as Eden. Lawyers take principles of justice and seek to develop laws that benefit society and uphold justice, even if imperfect, and apply them in situations involving real people. And this glorifies God because God is just and desires righteousness. Teachers bless children by their presence, by helping kids learn and develop important skills and foundational knowledge to then flourish as future workers when they grow up. And they also play an integral role to help kids to have basic faculties like words, sentences, and concepts, right? Comprehension so that they can know God and be taught gospel truths which requires words and concepts contained in the Bible. Even unpaid ministry work like children's ministry teachers provide avenues to sow gospel seeds on young, impressionable hearts through their work. And so God is glorified in all types of work. We worship God through our work because it fulfills God's purpose in creating us. Work becomes worship when we embrace God's purposes in whatever job you may find yourself in, so long as it doesn't put you sh- yourself in a position where you're asked to sin or compromise your faith. So then what are the practical reasons for then why we should work if we know the overarching purpose of work is to worship God? Look with me at our second fundamental aspect of work, the practical aspect, survival, enjoyment, and generosity. Proverbs chapter 10, verse four to five writes, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summers is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Being lazy, or not working, or lacking the will to look for work isn't just foolish, your livelihood is on the line. We don't work because it's necessarily a hobby or leisure. It's a matter of survival. Not working for prolonged periods of time will generally leave you in a situation where you can't obtain the bare necessities of shelter and food. right? Most of us aren't trust fund babies, or will ever win the lottery in our life. So if we don't work, we're going to have probably some trouble surviving in a society where everyone else is working in that kind of economy. Whereas being productive through work will make one rich. This is an antithetical proverb. It's structured to provide contrast two hard attitudes, two directions, two consequences, one positive, one negative. The wise person sees working hard at one's job as a means of providing income, money. Again, it's not any less noble to want and desire to work to make ends meet. Back when I used to watch reality TV, and mind you, this was a while ago, since I don't really watch reality TV, I don't watch The Bachelorette, I don't watch Running Man, I was captivated by a show starring Mike Rowe. Some of you may know that show that I'm talking about. It's called Dirty Jobs. It was a show where the host would join in and highlight careers that our culture would often stereotype or deem as maybe unideal for our modern sensibilities because they're often difficult, strange, disgusting, or messy, just to name a few a sewage inspector, Chinatown garbage collector, a pig farmer, and a maggot farmer. Some of you are probably thinking, ew, gross, I would never do that. Well, you prove my point. <laughs> the intended purpose of the show was to capture the moments that would seem bizarre to many, but very basic, very ordinary to the person who made that job part of their everyday life. And it really challenged the idea of what a good job was and, and that even the jobs we wouldn't naturally associate as being dignified, it was a good job because these people found contentment in it and then their passion grew from that, to stay in it. But at the heart of these jobs remained the fact that it was a means of their livelihood. They were able to provide for themselves and their families. I really like the show's concept in framing work. Why? Because it challenges our assumptions or feelings that the jobs or positions we hold maybe lack dignity, right? Less prestige. Ergo, are unimportant. And so then it can lead us to not actively pursue work or develop skills for another kind of job, because we're, those, we're so dead set on the job of our desires. In this way, we expect too much from our job that a job was never promised to provide us. We may may not be changing society on a global scale like working in government leadership positions for nationwide reform. We may not be curing the next deadly disease to stave off a global pandemic, but that's okay. The jobs we have provides us the means to survive and point us to a very kind Savior who provides and cares for us through his appointed provision, which is work. So we aren't left thinking our jobs aren't essential in the sense that they don't matter. Our jobs are essential because they're basic means to provide for you. We can enjoy the fruit of our labor. We can have a place to live. You work so you can eat. That's just wise living. But not only is work the instrumental means for survival, it also is the means to thrive beyond just the bare necessities. Enjoyment, look with me at Proverbs 12, 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Wise people see their work and job as a responsibility. Wise people see the jobs they are in as a stewardship God has allotted to them. Whether it's working on a farm, planting and processing grain, or a computer programmer working from home, your work provides you with abundance. But consider someone who follows worthless pursuits. The proverb labels labels that person a fool, someone who lacks sense. Why? It's not so much that they aren't working, but their attention is misguided opportunities are squandered because of worthless pursuits, or as some translations have it, empty fantasies. This isn't just idleness, but includes taking focus away from honest work for ventures to get rich quickly, like gambling or some other venture with the hopes of striking it rich overnight. But one who sees the important responsibility of work set before him We'll have bread, and notice how it does not just say enough bread, plenty of bread. Enough to feed Pastor Allen's hungry son, till it's no longer funny for his little tummy. You see, hard and honest work provides you more than just enough to survive. It provides you with abundance. It's why Chris doesn't have to eat white bread for breakfast and soy sauce rice for for dinner every day. Work allows you to eat and enjoy the good gifts of God here on earth. It's what provides you with the moolah, the, the, the abundant flexibility to the eat, eat late-night tacos after praxis as a second dinner. Or maybe for some of you, go on a date to some fancy bougie place that you can't even really pronounce, but hey, it's got $4 signs on Yelp. So you pray she'll be more impressed with that than the McGhetto hamburger. Whether Disneyland is your happy place, or the thought of traveling to an exotic destination like Machu Picchu has you giddy like Pikachu, our work is a conduit for enjoying the fruit of labor. Work provides you with more than just the bare necessities of life to survive, but to actually enjoy the abundant good gifts of God here on earth. And that is a wise perspective to have on work. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 12 to 13, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. We can be satisfied in our appointed jobs for the simple fact that it's the means by which God provides for us. Even though work can be a drag, frustrating wrought with difficult difficult coworkers sometimes, or maybe the work itself is difficult. We get paid so we can live, eat, and be reminded of God's grace and kindness towards us, even through the abundant enjoyment of gifts beyond just survival. So you may not find yourself in the most fulfilling job right now, and it may not be that super high-paying job where you can quickly afford a home in PV or, or Redondo Beach, but a wise perspective on work teaches us that a job isn't meant to provide us with everything we want and hope for. Beloved, our ultimate joy isn't found in work. As believers, we find our ultimate hope and joy in Jesus. It is the work of Jesus Christ whose life and death gave us the gift of salvation. Though work is hard because of the curse of sin, we still recognize that the job we're in allows us to provide for that ourselves. It's a reminder that all that we have has been given and comes from the hand of God. And so we enjoy it. We worship him, God through it, on earth into some measure. And we can also bless and meet the needs of others through the fruit of our labor. Because work is practical. Because our return on labor provides opportunities to then be generous. Generosity. Proverbs 11, 24-25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Proverbs 13:22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous we work because it provides us with the money and resources to then bless others with. Above and beyond basic needs of shelter, food, personal leisure, and enjoyment, we see that our work is a means of loving and blessing others through our paychecks. Our honest labor should be a vehicle to love others with, whether that's blessing your coworkers or using a portion of your paycheck to bless your neighbor, family, and friends through gifts, help, food, meal, helping out a family or friend in need treating a friend out to boba. Beloved, have you been adverse to seeing the reasons for work as being wise in God's design? What are the ways that shapes your heart for work? Generosity with your abundance? Are you able to acknowledge work as a good grace from God for your survival? Are you able to enjoy the fruit of your labor? Or is your heart Characterized by discontent for more. That brings us to our third fundamental aspect of work. The character of our work. Faithfulness. What should our work look like on the ground level? What's our attitude in the day-to-day when not only work, but we work with people? While I could hark on diligence, which is basically working hard with excellence, which... I did when I preached on integrity, I want us to consider an aspect of diligence we don't consider, one that's inexplicably connected. That's dependability. Proverbs 25, 13. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. Faithfulness receives recognition. Faithfulness is a blessing to others when your work is characterized by dependability. In the ancient Near East, effective communication depended on reliable human messengers. There were no cell phone towers, email or Facebook messenger. Whether for a large business transaction, important political decisions, diplomacy between two nations, all depended on a reliable messenger someone with a good track record of being counted upon. If you are dependable, you're someone that's regarded as trustworthy to complete a task. The type of witness a dependable worker cultivates is refreshing to those around him, especially managers or bosses. Why? Because this proverb likens the cold of snow in the time of harvest. You don't have to be a farm boy, a farm boy or, or girl to know that snowy winter season isn't exactly the time for harvest. so how is this a good thing? well it's speaking about the effect of cold snow which usually resides in the mountain right so during a hot day during harvest, imagine this the thought of cool snow that melts and runs down the mountain or is brought down on a hot day well that's refreshing It's like drinking crystal geyser or glacier water on a hot day after A long day of physical labor and so that's what it feels like for employers and managers when there's a dependable employee under them someone who generally can be counted on for completing projects and isn't characterized consistently by excuses for incomplete or unfinished work here's an employee that brings value to the employer getting their job done to the best of their abilities Being reliable is a testimony of one's track record of them blessing others. A real team player that allows his or her coworker to not have to worry that they're gonna have to pick up the slack for you. Praxis. Are you loving others through your dependability? What would your coworkers or managers say about you? what would God say about your dependability a refreshing witness honesty proverbs 20:17 bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel dishonest gain has an effect not only on us but against those around us it's toxic Bread gained by deceit makes you a con artist. It may seem enjoyable to gain wealth or make money from work done in an illegitimate or unethical manner, but it's harmful and has consequences. Living truthfully and honestly pleases the Lord. That means acting and stating what is true. How this plays out for those of you who work in a setting where your time is tracked, you know time cards, punch in, punch out, Beloved, are you working honestly? Are you truthful with your employer about how much you work? Or are you collecting a paycheck and not doing work? If so, it's a form of stealing and deceit. Even if your earthly boss doesn't see you because you're allowed to work from home, your heavenly boss is displeased. If your employer only allows you a 15 minute break in the morning and afternoon, do you take an hour long break to sleep, yet clock it as time worked? Do you fudge accounting numbers or hide things which are required to be reported in accordance to the law? Do you follow your company's policies? Proverbs 11, 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. You want to know what a false balance is? It's when you're very loose and liberal with your work, your ethics at work. Falsely reporting line items charged as a business expense when in fact it's a personal expense. Or do you call in sick and use sick time when you're not actually sick? I've heard it before. You know, when you try to alleviate your conscience by saying like, well, I'm sick, sick of work. Our character matters at work and is the primary vehicle to adorn Christ-like conduct in the workplace. Our character in work either deepens or diminishes our witness for Christ. Only a fool would think dishonest practices, lying, collusion, laziness, and being untrustworthy is okay. Hey, sorry, I never got to getting my work done and I'm a constant busybody and and gossiper, but hey, I wanna tell you about this transformative good news about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we looked at our work as worship, we've looked at the practical realities for why we work, and we've covered the character of faithful work, which brings us to our last point, work as stewardship, keeping work in its proper place. <clears throat> has the question, uh, what kind of work should I do? What kind of work has God called me to do ever cross your mind? Have you ever struggled with wisely figuring out what kind of job or line of work to pursue? For many of us, for many of you who have graduated recently from college, This is the prevailing question we need wisdom on. Some of us might look for signs that God is calling us to do a certain job. I mean, imagine this. You're walking into a coffee shop by the name of Cafe Dulce. You order your favorite latte, but this time the barista brings out your latte, but the latte art has changed. Instead of your usual tulip foam art, what do you get? A heart. The exterior light penetrating the cafe's windows perfectly strikes your latte cup. Oh, wow. God might be calling you to be a barista or start your own online dating service platform. While we may laugh at this caricature of an approach to calling, after all, in the moment, emotions isn't exactly the wisest criteria for figuring out the type of work you should be doing. In fact, it's quite foolish to base your decisions on mere whim of feelings or what a fortune cookie paper tells you. Surprisingly, the book of Proverbs does not contain many Proverbs dealing specifically with determining what type of work to pursue. In fact, many of the Proverbs concerning work and your job focuses mainly on working diligently and pursuing excellence in whatever you do. The commendable work ethic of an ant is highlighted as a positive foil against the idle, Lazy sluggard. Yet absent is a focus on what you should do. And this should teach us something. It teaches us that what we do for work does not matter as much as who we do our work for. The specific type of job we have doesn't necessarily matter as much as our approach to our work for for God's glory. We're called to be diligent in whatever job we hold because that's how we demonstrate our worship to God, for He is our King. He is our boss. In other words, a wise approach to being faithful to God in our jobs means giving greater attention to the character of the work we're currently in and doing than getting caught up in, is this God's will for me to be here? It also means that we have freedom to change jobs and seek other opportunities as we see fit. Colossians three twenty three writes, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So then what, what is a wiser approach to thinking through your search for a job or discerning where God has called you to work? Uh, for many of us in our generation, the world's wisdom on work is resoundingly clear. Passion should determine your job and career. Or the counsel we often hear growing up is, do whatever you want. Do what you like. And perhaps you've envisioned yourself to be that little kid sharing with the rest of the class in elementary school during show-and-tell about what you want to be when you grow up. Being one of those success stories from childhood to adulthood. A Cinderella story in the making. So the diagnostic question you ask yourself is, what am I passionate about, right? And while this may be a helpful starting point, And I do think it should be taken under consideration. It makes a terrible overriding guidance factor if that is your sole reason to pursue a certain type of work. We need the wisdom of God. Case in point, several weeks ago, Pastor Allen spoke about friendship. One of the illustrations he shared, which I share with you again today, is a TV show known as American Idol. And for those of you who don't know, there was an engineer grad from UC Berserkly who auditioned in front of a panel of judges where most contestants are fearful of the critique of Simon Cowell. And after this guy's audition, the judges were appalled. He was off-key, missing notes, the accompanying dance routine, clearly the disparity between personal desire and passion, and the guy's actual skill to sing, to perform, that he was no protege to Ricky Martin. We aspire to do what we love. Whether it's the aspiring actor whose dream is to dance under the city of stars and land that lead role for Hollywood's La La Land or someone who wants to be a jet fighter pilot when they grow up, all of us have dreams of a certain job, a certain career, But is it wise to factor your career and job on passion alone? If you don't have a strong and clear passion for certain work or jobs, does that mean that work is inherently not good in God's eyes? Or doesn't serve to bless others in society? Does it mean you can't and shouldn't pursue a job you don't have an immediate or knee-jerk passion for? Well, wisdom suggests the answers to those questions is a resounding no. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 29. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Quality work deserves recognition. And this proverb challenges us to see wisdom through God's eyes when it comes to work. The question invites us to explore a particular quality evident in his work. What's that quality? It's skill. To have skill is an ability to do something well. You have the learned ability to perform. There's a degree of proficiency. There's a level of competency in your work. But consider the person with passion, with passion alone. I may desire to be a professional concert piano artist, but I need to consider more than just passion. I may love classical music, but after practicing consistently over a period of time, if I'm finding it hard to get past playing Mary Had a Little Lamb and Heart and Soul, maybe, just maybe, I should get counsel and reconsider whether I've wrongly dismissed other jobs and opportunities before me, where I can still glorify God, meet a need, and direct or indirectly love my neighbor through my work. So brothers and sisters, as you consider what you're passionate about and would love to get paid doing, have you asked the question, am I growing in skill where others would recognize and affirm the potential in me, instead of just a subjective, tunnel-like thinking, oh, what am I passionate about? Are you evaluating your skills and abilities by asking, what baseline skills and abilities do I have that would translate to potential employment in this field? And that cuts through the subjectivity of feelings and emotions that often drive what we perceive as passion. Look with me back at Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. 29. Generally speaking, those who are skillful will be recognized because the king entrusts and delegates offices and tasks to those who are recognized as being gifted and skilled, right? Especially the inner court. There's a growing recognition of this man or woman's abilities, Look with me back. Oh, consider Ezra, the Jewish scribe and priest. Through God's provision and faithfulness, Ezra was used instrumentally by God to help the Jews who were in exile at Babylon at the time to return back to the land of Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, and bring about spiritual reform. In Ezra chapter 7, verse 6, Ezra is described as a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God Israel, had given the same applies to even New Testament pastors today. First Timothy 3. You may aspire to be an elder, but have you been tested? Your character. Are you competent? Are you able to teach? And if not, well then, Pastor Allen comes to me and says, Sorry, Chris. But the problem with it is just, just follow your passion view of work. Is that I can inherently become self-centered. Why? Because self-interest is the only criteria of evaluation. Everything is through the lens of self-appraisal. We've been duped into believing that we need what we need most is passion, and that passion leads to fulfillment in our jobs or dream jobs. We've been tricked into approaching job and work, not through the wisdom of God, who said work was good, and there, there are many types of good work we can pursue, but instead we seek for joy and satisfaction in work through the lens of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Perhaps you've heard of Maslow's Western theory on human motivation. This theory teaches that there's a pyramid of needs where the lower level needs are but building blocks to the real goal, achieving one's full potential. It lies to us about our need for achieving Self-actualization. On the bottom, you have the physiological, food, water, rest, safety needs, security, belongingness and love, intimate relationships and friends, esteem needs such as prestige, feeling of accomplishment, and finally, the top of the pyramid, self-actualization. But God is absent in this model. God is absent in this pyramid. And that's exactly the problem. This proverb confronts that notion and helps us to wise up. Our gifts and abilities develop to a degree over time, which eventually leads to recognition if we aim at growing in skillfulness. This means that just because we want and desire a particular job doesn't necessarily mean we deserve and are entitled to it. If you don't get what you want, are you going to continue being unhappy or discontent at God? You see, skillfully navigating work and career life requires that we keep this principle in mind. Aspiration doesn't entitle you to desire. There are many promises God makes to his people in Scripture, but this is not one of them. Rather, we are challenged to take a real and hard look, assess our God-given skills and abilities, and then factor and consider that as you navigate this stage of life looking for work, viewing your current work, and aspirations for future work. God gives people gifts and abilities. Now gifts are given to different degrees. By definition, a gift is an ability that you pick up pretty quickly relative to others and excel in. It's why we say that person is a gifted preacher. That person is a gifted musician. That person is a gifted athlete. But what if you're not where your gifts and abilities are perfectly aligned in your job? Maybe where you're currently at. After all, sometimes to financially support yourself as an independent adult, you take on jobs that are not as ideal. Should you look for other jobs? Are all callings, in a sense, equal, and how should it shape your perspective on job opportunities that come across um, as you search? Well, as Christians, we rightly affirm that all honest jobs have equal dignity before God's eyes. Yet at the same time, we recognize not all work is equal. And no, I don't mean that in the off quoted animal farm statement about equality. All jobs, when compared with each other, are equal in some ways, but then in some ways, they aren't all equal. Some jobs pay more, some jobs require a higher skill set and much more education. Some lines of work and positions bear heavier burdens and responsibility. Certain roles in an organization have more influence than others, like a C-level director at Google versus the contracted janitor who cleans Google's facilities. So how does this wisely inform you about pursuing different job opportunities, for those of you looking to transition to another job? Well, I think one wise goal, as you think through gifts and abilities is to try to seek to serve God with your rarest and your highest level of abilities. Let me give you an example for what I mean by that. Let's say you're eating at a fancy three Michelin star restaurant in Napa called French Laundry where I wish I could afford one day. Well, if I were able to afford it and to be able to eat there. I would want Thomas Keller, not Tim Keller, in the kitchen directing. I would want him entrusted with overseeing the cooking and the taste testing. He went through much training, his skills affirmed and recognized internationally. He has a high and rare gift within the restaurant that's best utilized in a particular way. I don't want him playing the role of a dishwasher, even though that role is important too. Same way if you were get surgery for your heart. Sure, there's dignity if the heart surgeon watches, uh, washes you know, scalpels and stuff, but I want him operating on me, right? I don't want the guy from Admin doing that. Similarly, Scripture informs us to live skillfully as we evaluate how to best use our abilities for God's glory and service when it comes to work. Luke 12, 48 teaches us to be faithful with what we have been entrusted, going back to the the idea of our rarest and highest gifts and abilities. And the verse says, To whom much was given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. This includes our abilities and opportunities when it comes to what work opportunities we pursue. So you have that freedom as you look for jobs, to try to want to seek to to use your, your rarest, your highest abilities and gifts. So long as you also keep in mind, it may not always work out that way for a season or maybe even a lifetime. So we must temper our expectations when this doesn't happen. There's going to be seasons in life where it doesn't seem like your skills, abilities, passion are matched well to the job. And oftentimes it feels like a mixture, right, of skill, level of passion. But the point is stewardship doesn't make the kind of job you want an ultimate thing. So brothers and sisters, if the prospect of your dream job or picturesque vocation is shattered or seemingly far off in the distance and you're frustrated and you're set on, I think, therefore I must have, may I kindly suggest to you that this is possibly a telltale sign of an idol in your heart? Has your pursuit of a dream job become an ultimate thing in your life? In other words, have you failed to steward your call, your present call to Christ and to love his church as well as balance that with your current work and job? Not that you can't find other work, but have you considered what other callings you have in life? For example, a married person has multiple callings, right? A call to love his wife. If he has children, a call to raise their children in the fear of the Lord. So we can't be myopic in our vision and think this is the only calling that we have and have tunnel vision, only think about work in our lives. Lastly, we need to keep work in its proper place by not overworking and getting some rest. Proverbs 23, 4. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Seize from consideration of it. Proverbs twenty-seven, eleven. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. See the limitations and pitfalls of work. Overwork and exhaustion in our work, for the idol of wealth is a huge danger. Because it offers us comfort, security. More is better. but so is thinking we are in control and think overwork will then be the pathway to a greater accumulation of wealth. Christian Puritan Samuel Huron once warned, Oh, let not mine eyes be dazzled, nor my heart bewitched with the, the glory and sweetness of these earthly treasures. Draw my heart to the love of that durable riches and to that fruit of heavenly wisdom which is better than gold and the revenues whereof do surpass the silver that my chief care may be to have a soul enriched and furnished with thy grace. So don't overwork for the idle wealth. And also, you may make plans about work, career, but you can never be certain and hold tightly to your desires ever coming true. Wisdom understands and that certain factors we assume as being certain and cemented in stone are not actually in our control. We should be uncertain about how certain our future is. Wisdom says we shouldn't be too confident with our assumptions that shroud our discernment in making decisions that have an impact on the present. Wisdom says we should fear the Lord. We should trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our understanding. In all our ways, we are to acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Therefore, we rest and cease from work regularly, just as God rested from creation. Beloved, work is good, but work was cursed because of sin and mankind's rebellion against God. Yet work is redeemable, for it was Christ who conquered over death and the curse of sin when he came to work humbly here on earth. He was of a lowly estate, grew up as a carpenter by trade yet worked to do the will of the Father whom was, who was well-pleased. And his work of miracles, healing signs, were to tell us about the authority and the power of the Son of God with even authority and power to forgive the sins of man. The Son of God w- who would work till his death on a cross where his, one of his last words on the cross as he c- completed his work of atonement for sin It is finished. This is the Christ that we worship and then why we work for his glory. Jesus worked to the very end as a sacrifice, as a substitute for our sins. Therefore, our bodies work as an act of worship to God in accordance to Romans 12, verse 1 to 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living Sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the grace that work is. Perhaps for some of us, we've had a diminished view of work, which has maybe fed discontentment, which is maybe fed anger in our hearts while maybe for some of us just struggling, Lord, to find joy and happiness. We're not seeing the point. Uh, Yet in all of this, there is purpose through your work in creation and also for us to work that though it is marked by toil and suffering, It is redeemed because of Christ, Lord, and we long for that day when even work is redeemed fully, Lord. And work continues in the new heavens, new earth, Lord. Help us to enlarge our view of work and help us to enlarge our view of you through our work as we seek to grow as worshipers in our work. We kindly ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.